a couple of the younger players on the team were like, do you know who this is? This is John Elway. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's really important. You need to let him into this place. Even if you don't let us in, you should let him. And the, the bouncer at this particular club looked at him and he goes, I don't know who John Elway is. And I know we're at capacity. So I don't care who John Elway is, he's not coming in. Right? Can you imagine that happening in Denver? There's no way, right? They would kick people out and make sure John Elway got in. But did you know, like, there are, I like to play golf, and did you know there, there's a list of the 100 greatest golf courses in the U.S.? I look at it every year. They produce it. I dream about playing some of them. But did you know that most of them are private? And did you know I will probably never get an invitation to any of them? They're exclusive. I'm not welcome. I don't make the cut. I'm not in that club. In fact, it's so exclusive, they do a separate list, the 100 greatest public courses, so the ones you actually could possibly play in your lifetime, right? I mean, they're exclusive for a reason. You cannot go there. You are not welcome. In fact, there are other areas of life that are exclusive as well. Have you noticed this? Like, maybe you tried to go to certain schools. I I was researching this week, what are the most exclusive schools in America, right? I, I was interested to find that Stanford is actually more exclusive than Harvard. I didn't know that. There are more applicants at Stanford, that's why. You know, Yale's just below them. But did you know, I mean, Juilliard's right in there too, but did you know the most exclusive school, I'm not even sure I'm saying it correctly, is the Minerva Schools at Keck Graduate Institute. You and I are not getting in there, by the way. I don't know how to say it, and they only take 2% of the applicants. Right? It's the most exclusive school in the country. I, I've told you before, I'm still waiting on my call for, from an NBA GM to say, hey, we have a spot for a 5'10", maybe 5'11", white guy who is slow and can't jump but can shoot okay. We've got a room on our roster for you. You don't play defense, but we would like you on our team. Still waiting for that phone call. Hasn't happened. Probably not going to. But did you know that there are over a million high school basketball players? Did you know that only 3.1% of them will play college basketball? Did you also know that of college seniors, only 1.2% of them will make it to the NBA? Remember I mentioned all those high school kids? Do you know how many of them get to play in the NBA? 0.03%. All right, you and I are probably not getting a call from an NBA team, by the way. It's exclusive. These places, clubs, organizations, leagues, they are the definition of exclusive. The reality is every world religion is as well. In fact, even those who reject all world religions and say they're all the same or they reject them all, that's just as exclusive. But you know one of the biggest things that keep people from wanting to to be a Christian is this idea that Christianity is an exclusive religion. It says there's only this one particular way that this works, and if you don't follow this one particular way, then you cannot be in. And so that by itself becomes one of the things that keeps people out, because they go, if it's that exclusive, I don't want in. I mean, it's an arrogant statement to say this is the only way, right? I mean, that, that is arrogant, like to say, I know and you don't. Like, that's arrogant. That's kind of the definition of that. Like, this is the only way and you cannot go that way, and so I'm sorry. It's like when you're lost with direction, they say, well, I can go that way. Well, no, you can't. Well, actually, if I circle the globe, I can get back there. 
Okay, you're right. I'm sorry, what was I thinking? But today we'll, we'll explore the, the question of maybe Christianity isn't as exclusive as we think it is, or in its exclusivity, it's not alone, as every other worldview requires an exclusive kind of thinking. See, we've been doing this series called The Problem of God, and we've been exploring these conversations that we've been having that keep people from wanting to believe in Jesus or belong to a church or want to hold to Christian values or whatever it is that you want to describe that as. We looked at how faith and science really are two sides of the same truth, that they're seeking after the, wrong, the same thing. They both want to know what's true. We've talked about how the problem of hell and what do we do with that or hypocrisy or does God even exist because this is all a waste of our time if God is not real. We talked last week about sex. Some of you, you were scared you were going to come back this week and we talk about it again or you wish you weren't here last week. I even heard people went to another church because they wanted to avoid the topic. It's kind of funny and sad. No, um, because I know their names. Um, But we have issues with things we don't want to wrestle through. We don't know what to do with these conversations. And so we, we, uh, we struggle. Because Christianity does make this exclusive claim that the only way to God is through a relationship with Jesus. It is an exclusive claim. But Christianity is not alone in its exclusivity. Years ago, Timothy Keller was invited to be a part of a, a panel in New York of various faiths. And so there was a, a Muslim imam and a... Um, a Jewish rabbi, and so they sat around this, this kind of circle table, and they answered questions. It was at NYU, New York University, and, and um, it was really cordial. They said it was really a great experience. They, they talked about their different beliefs and why they believed what they believed and how they saw the world and the way they understood faith to interact with people. And he said, we were cordial, it was intelligent, but we disagreed with one another. So we, we ultimately hold completely different worldviews. In fact, uh, there was a college student there who said, you guys are the problem. So this is why the world will never work. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We just see the world differently. We can still have conversation together. He said, but this is, this is, you just divide people. And one of them said, well, people are already divided. We just give someone something to, to hold on to. But they all agreed on one statement, and this was the statement they all agreed upon. If Christians are right about Jesus being God, then Muslims and Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to know God as God really is. What these three faith leaders recognized that each of their faiths had irreconcilable differences with the other. The bottom line was they could not be equally right about the nature of God. At least one of them, if not two of them, were wrong, and they knew it. I mean, this is where exclusivity comes in. What do we do with this? This is, this is the claim that Christianity makes. That Christianity believes that it is the only religion that connects people back to God, who is their creator. That is an exclusive claim. For us to say anything other than that would be untrue. I mean, if I want to say that, well, the Christianity is right and all other religions are wrong, that's a bit simplistic of a statement. To dismiss every other one without a conversation, that's a bit simplistic, and so we don't want to, to go there because every world religion ultimately says the same thing. Buddhism says there is no God, that we're all connected to this universal soul, and in that we, we are just all one, and that we'll find nirvana in this life or the next. Islam is exclusive. It says there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. 
Um, by the way, a little learning thing for you all. Um, be careful if you're talking to Christians from the Middle East and you talk about Allah negatively, because that just means God. Um, that's what it means. So if you're talking to a Coptic Christian, an Egyptian Christian, they're going to say Allah, meaning the same God you mean. The difference is of whether you say Muhammad is his prophet or not. Atheism rejects all religions, says they're all wrong, that they're, they're all just wrong. In other words, they're not intelligent enough to realize there is no God. I mean, each one of these views is exclusive in its own way. It says, I have the answer, you do not. In fact, I'll argue that every single worldview is exclusive. Whatever one you hold, you may think, well, I think they all work together, and we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about why. Well, if you believe that, that's just as exclusive as, the, as saying Jesus is the only way to know God as Father. I mean, the opposite of exclusivism is inclusivism. Right, here's what I mean. If we're going to argue about inclusivity, um, maybe you've seen the movie, and you don't have to acknowledge if you have, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Like I said, you don't have to answer if you saw that movie. I just said that. Some of you are cheering. Well, it really illustrates what inclusivity looks like if we're to, to kind of play it out in our life. In fact, there's a scene, um, well, Will, Will Ferrell plays the char- character Ricky Bobby, and there's a scene where he thinks he's on fire. And he's running around a racetrack in his underwear because he thinks he's on fire. But here is his prayer as he runs around this racetrack. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jewish God. Help me, Allah. Help me, Tom Cruise. Use your witchcraft to get the fire off of me. Help me, Oprah Winfrey. Well, if you didn't catch that, there's a reason that this is really the epitome of of inclusivity. The viewpoint says, don't limit yourself to one view. You better hedge your bets and think that all could be right, and so you better just, just accept them. They're all equal. In fact, this is there's a line from Oprah who said, uh, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. Um, the truth is, many, much of our culture buys into this kind of westernicity is a way in which they phrase this idea that all religions are equal, all religions go to the same place, all religions are the same, but we know at the end of the day that cannot possibly be true because they are diametrically opposed in certain areas of belief. So in contrast to atheism, which says all religions are false, inclusivism says all religions are true. You don't think this is prevalent? Walk into any bookstore and look at the largest section they have. It is self-help. It's what people watch on television. Oh, I can just, three steps to your new life now. Or what, I don't know. I don't read a lot of self-help stuff. Maybe I should. Um, but, but the whole point is, like, either it's within you or you can connect to God in your own unique way and you can do this and you can do that. And maybe there's some truth to some of it, but most of it um, can't be true if another viewpoint is true. But at the end of the day, you realize that inclusivism is just as exclusive as Christianity. It says, if you want to believe them all, then that's fine. I know better than you that you're wrong. That by itself is part of what people rail against. In fact, there's a bumper sticker I see all over the place that used to bother me a lot. It doesn't bother me so much anymore, but... Bumper sticker that says coexist. Have you seen it with all the world symbols of religions on it? Um, and I used to get irritated by it. I, I don't anymore as much because I want to I tell you why. 
I used to be really irritated by it because all these world religions, like if you believe this and this and this, they cannot work together. Like at the end of the day, they, they, they don't believe the same thing. But, but I, I, where I was probably wrong uh, in my viewpoint of that bumper sticker, although it typically was on like a hippie Subaru Outback, um, but with like a whole bunch of other bumper stickers on it. And if you have one of those, I'm sorry. Um, but what I, what I began to realize was, no, like there is a value in coexistence. Coexistence matters. Shared belief is different than coexisting. I can, I, can, I can coexist with you without believing what you believe. In fact, coexistence does not require shared belief. Only shared empathy. Like, I thought that was so good I had to read it because I, it's on the screen. So, um, coexistence does not require shared belief, only shared empathy. See, followers of Christ, Christians, should be in conversation and dialogue with people of different faiths. We should even be partnering together for things that improve the life of humanity. We don't have to believe in their religion or hold to their convictions to know that there's value in helping one another. Mark Clark is a, a pastor in Canada, and he tells a story when he was nearing the completion of college. I don't know how this happened, but he was nearing the completion of college, and he found out that when he went to the administrator to figure out what he needed to do to graduate on time, they said, by the way, we don't know how this happened, but you actually have never graduated high school. <laughs> we contacted your high school, and you're missing one class. He's like, I'm like almost going to be a senior in college, and I'm missing, he goes, you need to take one class. So here's Mark, who's going to be a senior in college, has to sign up for one high school class for summer school. He's like, are you kidding me? I gotta go to summer school, and I'm in college, and I gotta go back to high school. Like, it sounds like a movie, but this was his life. So he goes back to this class, and, and while he's taking this class, um, he walks in. At first, the teacher thinks he must be a genius, right? Because about three weeks in, he's taking these tests and these quizzes, and he's just nailing them. And the guy, the guy pulls him aside, and he goes, man, like, why are you in this summer school class? And, and he finds out, and then he realizes, oh, like, you're... 22? Okay. Um, you're not 17. There's a big difference. You've had three years of college. You should be nailing this stuff. And so he, Mark says he meets this girl in the class who is this Muslim student, and they, they become friends and talk about their faith and talk about their differences, and they begin to share in this kind of conversation. And, and then one day he's running late to class, and she's coming out of the class, and she has tears in her eyes, and he says, what's wrong? And she says, well, the professor just made fun of me in front of the whole class. And Mark said that he'd argued with the professor back and forth about whether you should, should be a Christian or not, and about faith in general, and, and the guy was, kind of, was an atheist. And so they had this conversation. So Mark, Mark walked back in the class, and, and um, afterward he went to me and said, hey, um, like, does it make you feel more powerful to make a 17-year-old girl cry because of her faith? He said, like, that's inappropriate. And so the start of next class, the guy came in, and, and the, the teacher actually apologized to her. And he said, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have done that. That was inappropriate. He, he just told her that I know more about the Quran than you do um, because I've read it more than you have. And so she didn't really have a good defense for that. And, and at 17, she shouldn't have had to have a good defense for that. But the point Mark was making was that we should be defenders of one another. That there's nothing wrong with saying I have a different set of beliefs than you do, but we... We can share in this together. And so what Mark wrote was this. The reality is that not only can we coexist with those with whom we disagree, but we can defend their right to believe what they believe and work with them towards similar goals in the world. God has given common grace to people, 
And there are values and desires that we universally share. And we as Christians need to work with others to bring about those things in the world. What the Bible calls shalom, peace, and justice. See, we can accept that people believe different things than you and I believe. And we can still live in harmony. We don't have to hold those same beliefs. We can celebrate cultural differences. We can, we can celebrate that we're a melting pot of people in, in this country and around the world. We can celebrate that. At the same time, we can recognize there are spiritual dynamics that are radically different. There's nothing wrong with recognizing that. I mean, some would argue that, well, we all just believe what we believe because we, are, we were culturally designed to believe that way. That we, were, we were raised in such a way that we would, we would believe what we believe and that someone else would believe something differently. And so what we begin to find out is this, that, that just because I was raised in a particular way does not mean I'm predispositioned to believe a certain way. Right? Because those who say, well, I don't believe in any religion, you were predispositioned to do that if you grew up in a, a Christian home or a non-Christian home or whatever it might be. In fact, um, these are the kind of statements that lead to these kind of thoughts. All major religions are equally valid and basically teach the same thing. Each religion sees part of spiritual truth, but none can see the whole truth. Religious belief is too culturally and historically conditioned to be truth. It's arrogant to insist your religion is right and to convert others to it. The truth is, we all have a set of beliefs. All of us have a set of beliefs that came from something. All of us have a set of beliefs that we hold dear. All of us have something that we believe in. The question is, as we weigh in the marketplace of ideas, which holds the most truth? Which seems to be the most reasonable? Which, at the end of the day, is the most, makes the most sense of the exclusive view that I will hold to? Because if we're not careful, um, we can hold the views that that take us in different directions. And maybe the exclusive views of Christianity are more accurate. Uh, Leslie Nubijan is a, is a retired missionary from India, and so he told this story how lots of times we talk about faith. He would tell this story, he would be told this story by those in India, and they would tell him the story about the, the elephant. Do you know the story about the four blind men and the elephant? And so they would come to him and they'd say, well, here, you tell us about your faith, but let us tell you what we think. And the pantheon of beliefs out there, we think this is the right one. And they would then tell the story of the elephant. They would say, these four blind men come up to an elephant. And so the first one grabs the tail and he goes, look, I found a snake. The next one says, no, no, it's not a snake because he was grabbing one of the legs. And he says, I found it. It's a tree. This is too big and round and solid to be anything but a tree. And he goes, no, it's not a tree. The one who's holding the ear says, no, it's paper. It's thin and it's dry. It's just paper. The one's grabbing the trunk goes, no, you guys are all wrong. It's a hose. Right? And so then the person would didn't say to Leslie Nubigen, well, see, each of the world religions, they, they just are a part of the whole. And if they could see the whole picture, if they could step back from the whole picture, and they could see the whole thing, they would find themselves believing something totally different than what they currently believe. But in fact, what we find out is that's just not true. What we find out instead is this. There's still the arrogance that someone could see the whole picture well. That's just as exclusive as saying you only see in part as it is to say I see the whole. In other words, I'm just smarter than you. (laughs) I see the whole thing and you can't. But what if, what if we begin to see that, we begin to recognize that there's other ways of thinking of this. So Leslie writes this. The story is constantly told in order to neutralize the affirmation of the great religions. 
to suggest that they learn humility and recognize that none of them can have more than one aspect of the truth. But of course, the real point of the story is the exact opposite. The story is told by someone who can see, and that is the immensely arrogant claim of one who sees the full truth of all the world's religions are only groping after. It embodies the claim to know the full reality, which it claims that religions can't. The question behind the story, then, um, is not, does truth exist, but what is true? What worldview are you and I going to choose? I mean, Christianity could be wrong, but what's right? See, i got to be honest, this is where I place my life and my future, and really all of eternity in the words of Jesus. And I trust that that really is the best way. Jesus asked this question, how do I come to know God? How do I get to the Father? How do I get to the place where I know Father who's God? He responds this way in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 verses 5 to 7 say this, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So what Jesus says over and over and over again throughout the gospel message and really the whole New Testament of the scriptures is this. If you want to know the Father, if you want to know God himself, look at me. Look at my life. Listen to the words I speak and the message that I share. If you want to know why you were created, if you want to know what your life is meant for, if you want to know where all of that is centered, it's, it's in me. And so when Thomas says, well, Lord, how do we get to the Father? How do we know God? And Jesus says, me. Look at me. I'm the way and the truth and the life. In other words, There are all kinds of competing worldviews out there, but if you look to Jesus as the center of your worldview, it is an exclusive claim. There is no way around that, but I would argue that every worldview you take, whether it's a compilation of worldviews or some singular other worldview, is is exclusive just as much as that. And if we're all going to claim an exclusive worldview, at the end of the day, I think the words of Jesus ring more true than any other. That the words of Jesus, which says this, that, I want to give you freedom in life and in death. I mean, this leads us away from politics and paychecks and whatever else problems we're going through, that that there's hope for now and for the eternity, that Jesus becomes central in the midst of that. And so here's what I want to say to those of you who've already decided my worldview will be wrapped up in Jesus, that I'm all about Jesus. Here's what I want to say to all of us. The call on those who are followers of Jesus is to live with an allure of gentleness in all our life. Jesus doesn't need our defense of our faith so much as he needs us to love others. Right? I've got to be honest with you, in the marketplace of ideas, I think Christianity makes the most sense. But I've also found, if I want others to see that worldview as primary in their own life, arguing them to it, yelling at them on social media, telling them their view is wrong, has not been all that effective. Christianity does claim exclusivity. There's no way around that. But it does so in a way that says, but everybody's welcome. It's not like the NBA team where you're going to get cut because you're never going to get the tryout. It's not like the country club that you can't join because you can't afford it. 
It's not like the club in London that says, I don't care if you're John Elway. <laughs> you're still not welcome. What we find in the person of Jesus, he says, listen, you want to know the way to the Father? It's me. And you want to know what else? That everybody is welcome. In fact, for God so loved the world that he gave me his one only son so you could find life. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the whole world through him, through Jesus. And Jesus is saying to you and I, yeah, it's exclusive, but you're all welcome. It's definitely exclusive, but you're all invited. No, every other idea is not equally valid, but you don't believe that anyway. But you're welcome to come and be a part. See, it's why one of the things that Christianity does is it says, hey, there's... There should be a way that we connect with one another in ways that matter. In fact, we invite everyone to come and be a part. We invite you to a particular table. Jesus says, there's always one more seat at my table. You're always welcome to come and sit and join and eat and dine and be in my presence. I know that I love you. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is gift through and through. It is exclusive. There's no way around that. I don't know how to tell you anything other than that. But what I do believe with all of my heart is this. God says, I love you. God says, you're invited to come to the table. There's a great banquet that everyone's invited to be a part of. And we take communion here at least once a month. And it is this, this moment where we, we invite you to come and you dip a piece of bread into a cup of juice. And someone says to you, this is the body and this is the blood of Christ. And it's not some, some cannibalistic kind of thing. It's this idea that in the sacrificial love of God, he says, you know how far I'll go for you, for this view of the world? I'll go even to death because nothing will separate you from my love. That's what we sang about earlier. That's a good, good father, that only a good father would lovingly go to that place. Only a good father would lovingly go say, hey, you're all my children and I love you and I want you to come to my table and so I'll do whatever it takes for you to come to this table. So communion is for us this way that says that Christianity may be exclusive, but if you want to say yes to Jesus, then you're welcome. Come and eat. Come and know my love. Come and know my grace that says there's nothing you can do that separates me from you. You can choose to reject my love, but there's nothing you can do to separate my love from you because it's who I am. And Jesus reminds us, if you don't know who the Father is, look at me. He is sacrificial. He is selfless. He is full of love. And this morning we have the opportunity to take communion together. Who, anyone who wants to, by taking these elements, this bread, this juice, what you're saying is, yeah, I, I believe that Jesus really is the one who shows us the way to the Father, and I want to take, make that worldview the primary worldview from which I live from. And I want to follow him with my life. I want the words of Jesus to resonate in my heart and in my mind and in my soul. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and, and those who are helping with communion are going to come. And they'll invite you to come if you want to take communion, to come outside the middle, outside aisles. In fact, we even have a gluten-free spot in the middle if you, if you need that. But we do this recognizing Christianity does claim exclusivity, but the words of Jesus tell us if you want to know what that looks like, just look to Jesus and know his love. Father, will you help us today as we find ourselves in this moment? as we find ourselves wrapped up in your love in a way that we hope changes the very essence of who we are. As we take these elements today, may they be for us a reminder of your deep love for us. May we recognize that even in exclusivity that, that you say, yeah, Christianity is exclusive, but all are invited. 
isn't that we don't value other world religions. In fact, other world religions, nearly every single one has something in them that points us to you within them. Because there's something about the love of God that transcends all nationalities and races and religions and brings us to the place that says, if you'll just turn to Jesus, you'll know life and love in a way that you never understood before. So Father, will you help us in the midst of the the marketplace of faith ideas and the marketplace of worldviews that we would find that the words of Jesus become for us the most affirming, the most hope-filled, the ones that have literally changed our lives. So Father, as we take communion together this morning, will you help it to be for us, your grace and your love. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and come take communion with us together this morning. Whisper of love in the dead of night as you tell me that you're pleasing that.